When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, listeners, we planned to talk about Australia and Tunisia shocking the world, but it's now 10.15 on Thursday night, and that's been all thrown out of the window by some Japanese brilliance, and hey, the Germans are out again. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. How are you doing, Rory? It's been an eventful evening, hasn't it? I it has it's incredible it's incredible so usually listeners we'll let you peek behind the curtain a little bit we kind of record a little bit earlier because you know we're, mm. we're old we like our early nights but tonight I was like you know what let's wait the extra 15 minutes or so wait until the game finishes and I could not be happier that we have we have just <laughs> witnessed an unbelievable game you know what we're talking about Japan 2 Spain 1 and well they beat Germany and Spain and lost to Costa Rica, right? How, so how do we? It's so weird. <laughs> and to be honest, they should have won the Costa Rica game, right? They absolutely dominated Costa Rica. Costa Rica yeah. had one shot, one attack. It went sure. in. Um, but before we get into the game properly, we're not even doing like the warm up speech. We're just going straight into the action. <laughs> we're going to go into it. <laughs> There's so much to cover. <laughs> what have been your initial reactions of this Japan team? How much have they surprised you? And then we'll go into what the actual game itself. Well, uh, um, so to start off with, I'm really impressed by the Japanese team. Like, I think they've got so much potential. Like, I, f- I really do feel like this is a team that could build on this team going forward. Like, they can really progress. Um, I think I still agree with your comments, though, on our Twitter account, which is like, why are they leaving certain players on the bench? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And they did it against Costa Rica, like mm-hmm. you say. And then they really struggled as a result of that. And you kind of think back to that match. At the end of the match, they were like kind of consoling each other and kind of like wondering, like, are they going to win this next match? Because this is a big match, right, against mm-hmm. Spain. I think they didn't anticipate to maybe go into this match thinking they needed to win. Um, but when you look at how they played as well, because first half they were absolutely terrible in that respect. Spain mm-hmm. completely dominated. But Spain have a habit of doing this, don't they? They did it against the Germans where they played really well for the first half and then collapsed in the second half. And I I did mention it on our WhatsApp group. Yune Simon seems to be mm-hmm. determined to give away the ball quite yeah. easily when he should just hoof the ball. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of people in Spain that were shouting at him in mm-hmm. through various different TV sets. Um, but yeah, in terms of Japan, like I, I don't know. I can't really work them out yet because they have performances like this and then they turn up like they did against Costa Rica. So this is the thing. I think like you just have to fine-tune it and um, mm-hmm. you could be coming out with a good squad. I mean, you love Matoma, don't you? I'm absolutely... I adore him. I adore everything about him. Every time he comes on the pitch, I'm like, he's just... Technically, he's fucking brilliant. And, like, mm. his directness with the ball, his close control, 
Um, his ability to keep the ball on the pitch when it matters. We'll come on to that. Exactly. Like he is everything about <laughs> him. Everything about him is fantastic. And I think what what amazes me with this with the Japan team is, as you said, I don't understand that. It's like they enjoy the challenge of going one goal down to fight yeah, back. Because exactly. you could start these players. And that first half goes completely differently against Spain, mm. I believe, because Japan are able to keep hold of the ball more. Even with players like, and I'm not just saying it because I'm an Arsenal fan, even though people will say I'm saying it because I'm an <laughs> Arsenal fan. Someone like Tommy Asu, when he came onto the pitch, completely that right-hand side, Spain got nothing down that right-hand side yeah. the second he, like Spain's left, their right. They exactly. got nothing down that side the second he came on. It was all the tax on the other wing that came through. So I think players that like, like him with that Premier League experience, him, Mitoma, mm. even Doan, who came on at halftime, yeah. and completely changed the game. I think if you started with them, maybe you wouldn't put yourself in such a bad situation to mm. by half time. But then maybe part of it is the manager going, No, these players are better off the bench. These players are better maybe. with 40 minutes to go, half an hour to go. They have more of an impact than if they're lagging for the last half an mm. hour, 20 minutes. Like, I don't know, it could be inc- incredibly clever uh, management. But against Costa Rica, where they didn't start the players as well, it didn't work to bring them on. So it's like there is a balance here to be found. I think what Japan are lucky-ish with is that their their draw has been quite kind. Mm. So they get Morocco now, um, right? Yeah. Which is, like, I think that's a very even match. But for Japan, this is Mm. a chance for them to actually go out and try and win a game from the beginning, I think. Um, with Germany and Spain, they've obviously had game plans, but with this Morocco one, I'm pretty sure it's Morocco. So, uh, just clarified, Japan play Croatia. Oh, which, which Okay, that's a, okay. I'm going to reverse yeah. everything I've just and said. Morocco <laughs> play Spain. Morocco, that's going to be a fiery one as well. We'll get yes. onto that. But, um, okay, so ignore that bit. Japan against Croatia <laughs> is going to be a similar game plan to what they've had to do against Germany and Spain, right? Um, so maybe mm. we'll see them saving those players for later i just find it confusing as to why the manager does but he does he brought them on and they had the impact they needed but what i what i really enjoy about this japan team as well and i'll see if you agree is that they're what you know you're always going to get from from a japanese team is complete commitment they're never going to stop running just balls Mm. to the wall full throttle football energy and i think if you think to 2014, no, 2018, when they went out yeah. on yellow cards, those last two minutes, no, they went out to the two goals in the last minute or whatever against yeah. Germany, right? Or against Belgium. Yeah. Belgium. It feels like they've learned from that now. And this team has a bit more experience and they have a bit more technical ability than that team. So it's not just running and running for the sake of running. Yeah. There's an actual plan. There's a there's an there's an idea so that a game like this i think four years ago spain win that in the last five minutes yeah true i think you can see this team has grown a bit i don't know what you think about it yeah i think you're alluding to like how savvy they are maybe Mm -hmm. more astute in terms of their management um because yeah I, i feel like they have learned to be a bit more controlled with their play and certainly like you say a few years back they probably would have gone gung-ho football thinking that's the way to do it and maybe they've kind of looked back at certain teams and their successes at world cups and gone actually we don't need to play that way Mm um i'm sure we're going to allude to poland at some point but yeah (laughs) if you can play like that and get through then that rubs off on teams right so this is the thing so i think they've really learned from this experience but what i wanted to ask you was about spain as well because obviously Mm -hmm. we're talking about 
and given rightly the credentials and saying well done to Japan but Spain are we a bit worried about their kind of progress now because this is kind of the stuttering bit that they seem to have like they don't seem to be well drilled sometimes I don't know what Mm -hmm. is is it a flow aspect or like I I almost almost think with their midfields they do well for like 45 minutes and then they sort of collapse and they don't know what to do um what's your thoughts on it I think well, it's the Anglo-Italian curse coming through again because I finally, um, I finally praised them on Monday and said maybe you were <laughs> underestimating them, and then exactly. this goes and happens. But I think um, the with Spain, they've only got one idea, right? And then we know that with Spain, but Japan know mm. that as well. They've got one idea. That's what they do. They play football that way. They commit to it, and that's fantastic, right? Nine times yeah. out of ten, it works. But this time, it didn't. What I would say is when they won it in two thousand and ten. They did also lose a game in the group mat in the group stages to Switzerland, and they still went on to win it. So I don't know if it's like a huge thing, but what I did notice was that it seemed to be an air of complacency. Like we were messaging on the WhatsApp group coming into the second half, and as you said with Unai Simon, we were like, he's determined to give the ball away. One of these, he's going to get pressured and it's going to go into the net. And it seemed like there was just this. As they got that goal, they went, okay, job done, right? We can just see this game out now. And yeah. even when the pressure was on and they had to try and win the game, it was Enrique kind of made this really weird substitution. I think they were 2-1 down at the time, but he took off Morata. Yeah. He did, and yeah. Now, we've given Morata plenty of stick, right? But this tournament, he's been bloody good. And yeah. when you're a goal down, he's the striker that you bring on. He's not the striker that you... Like, he gives you that other option, that slight plan B that for those last five, 10 minutes, Spain could have just been pinging it into the box. Exactly. Like getting um, Asensio and Olmo to just whip balls in exactly. and Morata could have been on the end of it. Like the, that's how the first goal came for Spain. That's how their exactly. goal came. It's a ball into yeah, yeah. the box header. So I think it's kind of weird that Enrique decided to make that decision. Um, I think ultimately it kind of cost them the game or it cost them a result anyway. Mm. Um but yeah, I think we saw a kind of collective foot off the pedal from Spain. And I think maybe mm. what this could be is a wake-up a wake up call. And now when they go into Morocco, they go, okay, we can't. Like, that was close. Because if Germany, had, yeah, if we exactly. hadn't beaten Costa Rica 7-0, and if Germany had won by more, we would be out. So I think it could be a wake-up call. But what do you, like, what do you think? Do you expect them to... Yeah, I think you alluded to the first point when you talked about Tomiyasu, and I'm thinking about that. They've done a lot of their play down that left-hand side with Mm -hmm. Alba, so the fact that he kept him quiet, and I'm curious, actually, I think Morocco obviously have the wingers. That's what they're really famed for. So the likes of Ziyech, for example, you got Hakimi Eshraf as well, so... It'll be very interesting to see like how the wings go. Like I mm. think that's where it's going to be potentially played at, and then it's just a question of who's going to cancel who. Because yeah. like yeah, I I can see just bombing counter-attacking football mm. here. So do Spain take a different approach and kind of concentrate down the middle, like try and mix it up a bit? And I'm I'm fascinated to see like not only Enrique but how Morocco may may approach it because I think they mm. might be wary of. Spain's threat down the sides. Um, but I also think, like, at the back, they don't seem stable like Spain. I yeah. just don't get that feeling. Like, most tournaments, you kind of talk about 
teams being built on good defenses. Mm. I don't get that feeling with Spain. I still feel like they are like a few players short of like being a winning team. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. But also on the point of Morata, the fact that they bought him off and didn't really have like a suitable replacement in the sense of normally, mm. like most teams have someone that they can bring off the bench and, you know, almost be like an impact. Whereas Asensio, yes, he's had some good starts with Real Madrid, for example, but I don't actually feel like he's at that level to well, maybe it's not kind a type of be for type. There. It's no, not a exactly. type for type replacement. But even no. if we're not saying type for type, you almost want someone that gives you something different, right? Yeah. And I, I yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. quite get like he he feels like more of a midfielder to me than he does as a natural striker. Yeah. And I don't know yeah, if that's yeah, yeah. harsh, but I do feel like he doesn't add too much of a threat compared to say Danny Almo, who gives you something different. But again, mm. Danny Almo's role isn't going to be be in the middle, you know, score that one yeah, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like they Enrique got it wrong. He just yeah. got the substitution wrong. I, I think he, yeah, I think he did get it wrong. And what you had was three wingers on the pitch and no striker. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh right, okay. So who, who are the wingers aiming for exactly? exactly. Who are they cutting balls back to? There's no Adama Traore, right? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in midfield you've got Gavi, Pedri, and Busquets, and they were they're all fantastic runners. They're all fantastic midfielders, mm. but none of them are famous for making late runs into the box exactly. off the top of my head, right? So yeah. I think, yeah, I think. Enrique kind of got it wrong here. He kind of mm. got it wrong. But I think Japan managed the game incredibly well. They went through a flat back five, played 5 4 1 for the last <laughs> to half an hour, but they still had the better chances in the second half. Yeah, they still exactly. had more dangerous chances. I think they could have gone three up. Was it Doan who was through and he just lost his composure yeah. a bit? And I think Asano had one as well. They definitely had the better chances. I think there was only one moment where the Japanese keeper kind of half spilled it and Yoshida managed to exactly, clear it, yeah. where I thought, oh. And then yeah. there was the Olmo chance just after that where he exactly, just scuffed yeah. it a bit, but the keeper got down to it. But I think in overall, if any team was going to score in the second half, it kind of felt like it was going to be Japan. So yeah. crazy result for them. They do go up against Croatia in the next round. Now, again, during the day today, we've been talking about Croatia, um, drawing nil-nil with Belgium today. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Croatia, now this is the curse. This is going to put this the This is already started, yeah. <laughs> that I feel like Croatia genuinely got a shout of winning the whole thing, right? Because I thought they were going to be, mad. I thought, I said it on Monday, I thought that 2018 was their peak and we're seeing that they've kind of got almost... I think their attacking options are a bit better. Their defense is a bit better. Players like Gvardiol at centre-back. They've still got Lovren, who is definitely worth a rick or two. But I feel like in general, the squad feels a bit better. And I'm going to put my neck on the line and say they are the biggest dark horse now. That's as bold as I'm going to get, <laughs> is they are the biggest dark horse. Um, how do you think they'll do against Japan? And how do you feel they'll do in the tournament overall? I did get an inkling today after this, today's match that you kind of maybe feel like they've got a few tied legs right now. Um, mm. And I don't know how far they will go. Um, this is based on the assumption that I feel like they just are lacking a few more quality players. I think if they had like a quality striker, like Cramrich, I think he he's getting better with every game, right? And I think the um, game where he wasn't so much of a focal point, whereas they kind of made sure he was the fox in the box, made sure he was just there rather than doing the hard work. I think you started to see the fruition of what he can actually add to that creation squad. Um, but I do feel like 
they are very dependent on that midfield. So Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can control that midfield, I don't know where the spark comes from for Croatia because you are very reliant then potentially on the wing backs. Uh, mm -hmm. Juranovic, who obviously plays for Celtic, um, he's had a few iffy games during this tournament. I think he hasn't been completely convincing yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like he, he can be a player that you can get at, for example. And I think that was really proven in the last game previously. Um, but I... I yeah, I, I do feel that um, Croatia will progress. I think there'll be quarterfinals. I don't think mm -hmm. they'll go all the way. Um, sorry, Rory, but um, to kill your bubble. <laughs> I, I think just for our Croatian fans as well, that may be yeah. hounding me because I'm a Polish fan. Um, yes, yeah. you will definitely progress further than Poland, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I think I think we I, can I'll, nail We'll save our, that for later. We'll yeah, save we that for later. We can nail our for the master <laughs> on that one. They're probably going to get further than Poland. But what yeah. we need to say about Croatia is their opponents... In a nil-nil, um, Belgium, wow. Um, yes. Romelu Lukaku alone had 1.67 XG and managed to miss all of them in the second half. Um, <laughs> one just hit him as well. <laughs> one did just hit him. And I, what he needs to do, I, I always remember, right, when Olivier Giroud used to play for Arsenal, he used to miss a chance and he'd be really dramatic after it and like slap the ground and yeah, be like yeah. in pain and like... Ah, and it just made every miss worse, right? So Olivier, just get up and <laughs> bloody score. Lukaku needs to stop the stunned <laughs> thing or, that he does when he misses. Incredible Hulk thing at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, all that. <laughs> it just makes it look worse, Rom. Just do what Haaland did when he, do you remember in the charity shield when he missed that chance and everyone was like, oh, he's done. And he just laughed and walked off and was like, it's right, I'll score. Yeah, what exactly. you're showing there is that you're completely like, oh, fuck, that was the chance and I've missed it. Right. Yeah. I know there's a lot more to go with Romelu's dip in form than that, but yeah, I think that's a start, right? That's a start. But Belgium have finally, of course they have, they've sacked <laughs> Martinez. Um, it took them 0.5 seconds after kickoff, I <laughs> yeah. think, to sack them. There was this um, awkward I, moment where Martinez is interviewed by someone. I think it was a Belgian press, and they asked him, so you're going to stay in the job? Uh, he said, no comment on that. And then he so kind of suddenly moonwalks out of the scene. Like, I saw that so moment. Weird. <laughs> so <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> like, but yeah, he knew the game was up, didn't he? I think he's known that for over six months, by the sounds mm. of it. So. Yeah, so uh, uh, we're not going to we're not going to really talk about Croatia much more. But with Belgium, what can we say about how is this the are they the official meltdown team? Are they the meltdown team of the tournament? <sighs> Possibly, yeah, because you, you, we didn't even cover it on Monday's show. But about Vertonghen obviously getting wound up by Kevin De Bruyne, um, <laughs> so and his comments about yeah you've got an aging squad for example and i think kevin de bruyne just said it straight and mm -hmm. unfortunately for tongan and, and the likes didn't really like it i think it's quite funny to think that lukaku had to break it up like i'd imagine like lukaku getting involved going yeah he's true he's right but um yeah it's it's yeah. weird because i think I still think it's a massively ill-judged thing to do for from KDB. It's still, it, even if that's what you think, come on, you've had enough media training to be like, no, we can still do it. I believe in the well, squad. You know what's still... savvy to say, yeah. for example, like, yeah, you're just encouraging more press yeah. releases, etc. But maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe he mm -hmm. kind of like was reading the wall and kind of saying like, look, 
we haven't got an inspiring coach in Roberto <laughs> Martinez. Yeah. Um, he's not maybe got us drilled. Um, that was quite evident, to be honest, yeah. in a, yeah. the three games. I don't feel like they were that impressive. And, you know, when you rely on the likes of Axel Witzel, etc., mm. to still do a job when there's younger players around you and he's not encouraging those players to join into no. that kind of first team. I do wonder whether Belgian football is now going to probably take a few years to recover. Like I do well, feel it, like, you know, there's opportunities, right? It, it's it's interesting because when I was talking to Sasha Tavolieri, one of the mm. things he said was that Martinez had been really key in like building infrastructure within Belgian football and being like really uh, making sure that the, um, the investment in youth football and stuff was like mm. how Spain had done it, that kind of development right. idea. And like, he was really key in that. And you're like, okay, right. Well, that's a really sensible, great forward thinking thing to do for a manager who obviously cares about the job that he's in and wants to see development and he wants to see improvement. But then, yeah, within the squad, we said it on Monday, you could show me that squad. And I don't know whether it's 2016 or 2022. I don't know what year it is. So it's this really strange dichotomy between it, I think. But yeah, he could have been a bit braver with his selection. But I think the second that performance against Canada, which they only win because Canada are Canada. That's the only reason they win that game. I think then it's almost impossible to make a to make or to take a risk. Because mm. after that performance, I don't know, maybe he goes, you know what, I'm gonna play Trossard, I'm gonna drop Witzel, I'm gonna whatever. But then if you then don't win that game, it just doubles down, if you know what I mean. So I think yeah. the, the time for him to take that risk was the Canada game. The time for him to yeah. try those young players was against Canada and go, Okay, look, you're probably still gonna win. Sorry, Canada, but if you don't, you can be like, okay, my bad. Now we play the full strength team, right? And so I think yeah. maybe that was the game where he could have had a bit more leeway. But once that performance against Canada came in, he had no chance. He had to just stick with the old heads. And the 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 fact of them not being drilled and no idea, that's only down to him. That is only exactly. down to him. That, that is down to him. But I will also allude to the facts of something that we say about England, which is, yeah, the Nations League. Like, he had a relatively mm-hmm. easy group. It was uh, Holland. Wales, Poland, for example, in that group. And he could have at least exploited that and played around with the formation. But I remember even against Poland, they kind of played the same players that we're seeing at the World Cup. Like, granted, there might have been a few injuries here and there. But again, you kind of wonder, right, do you think Belgium could have done a lot more in the prep going into the World Cup? And I I feel that's very evident on this performance. Um, Mm. The fact that they brought in Lukaku, who hasn't been match fit for Inter Milan as well, like they they are really struggling. I mean, Hazard, I didn't really get that, didn't get his inclusion, for example. I could understand his brother, but not Eden, for example. So again, you know, you've got players like Doku, for example, sat on the bench, doing relatively well in the French League, for example. Um, De Ketelet, for example, another one. He could have benefited from just being there in the squad, you know, mm-hmm. just giving a bit more impetus for that Belgium squad. But hey ho, um, you know, bye bye Martinez and bye bye Belgium. Yeah, that's it. They're done. They're done. Yeah. Um, and the other game, the other game in that group was Morocco two, Canada one, which means that Morocco topped the group. Unbelievable from Morocco. What? A yes. campaign, ZH scoring within four minutes, four minutes, and Yusuf yeah. Nesri by the goalkeeper, who, <laughs> massively, definitely, definitely, <laughs> um, and Nesri from Sevilla getting the second. 
Aguero, yeah. the West Ham man, getting the own goal. What have you made from Morocco? Mm. We briefly touched on them. It is all about those wide spaces, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but they are exciting as a team overall. I feel like maybe we kind of focus too much on the wing play, but actually in the centre, they're quite solid as well. So, mm. you know, I think that kind of helps that wing play element. And um, yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, Morocco on a day against Spain, they could cause a lot of issues. I, I You know, could we be saying this is an African side that goes and progresses even further? Because, um, you know, We've got certain players that play in Europe, right? So they know how to play against certain teams. I, I could see them causing a shock against Spain. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I could see like a 1-0 on the cards. I really do feel like uh, Basri, our friend, will probably be uh, even more happier, as he put it on his little, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, little yeah, clips yeah. to us. But yeah, the no, politics behind wait. that game as well, man. We've just got past mm. USA-Iran and now we've got Morocco-Spain. Like... If people aren't aware, I don't. I hate to mansplain, but if people aren't aware, there's a tiny little enclave in Morocco called Kota, <laughs> which is still technically Spain. A lot of colonial history and stuff there. Yes, this is going to yeah. be a spicy game. This is going to be. <laughs> there's a lot riding on this. We've had Tunisia against France. We're going to get onto that. This is another one of them, right? Mm. Um, I think Morocco are going to be right up for it, and Spain, like we said, it's all about how they bounce back. I think also in Morocco, we need to talk about their midfield, like Amrabat as well. As a yeah. player, we've t- we've we've watched him quite a bit in Serie A, obviously, and he's a player that we've kind of been um, an admirer of for a while. But I think he's been absolutely dominant in that midfield. And then alongside him, Sabiri and Unahi. I want to get the 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 um, yeah. the pronunciation right. They've both just that three in midfield have been able to stem the flow of attacks and build mm. really, really well and get the ball to Ziyech and Bufal and make sure that those attacks get that speed they need. I think Amrabat yeah. is a player that, for Fiorentino, he's becoming more and more important and we're seeing that on mm. the Morocco pitch as well. So I really wanted to give Amrabat out a shout. Also, I do have him in Fanta Calcio, so I always want to give him a little bit of a shout. <laughs> um, but yeah, Morocco topped the group. Can you believe it? Unbelievable! Yes. We knew that game. We knew that group was going to be so much chaos, right? We were excited. Oh, we course. were excited about that group. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely looking forward to what they could do, and um, just hoping they could like just progress to the next round. I think for me, like just the fact that they're topping that group is even bigger achievement. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's see what they can do against the Spanish. I really cannot wait. I know. I'm, yeah, exactly. And we're going to quickly go because we've not even talked about... Have we talked about Germany? We've not talked about Germany yet, have we? We're not yet. Get no, on to no, Germany. No. Very quickly before we talk Germany, thoughts on Canada? I'm really sad they've gone out. I really enjoyed them. I really enjoyed them. I think I've kind of alluded to it in our Instagram posts. Um, I think they're just going to learn from this experience because, yeah, I think it's a bit of games management. They have to learn. Um, maybe their coach needing to learn how to inspire his own players instead of opposition players. Um, but yeah, <laughs> also I feel like almost going into that final third, they do lack that know-how willingness in terms of how to play around that area because Jonathan mm-hmm. David, for all the skill and will that he's got, he isn't enough. He isn't enough. Like, no. you know, we've been talking about superlatives with Alfonso Davies, um, Buchanan, for example. Yeah. I think they've got some really good, interesting players. It's going to be now a case of almost like Wales did. How can they build to ensure that they make the next World Cup or the mm-hmm. next tournament, for example? I think if they can do that, then there's a really bright future for, for Canada. And I think mm-hmm. they're also doing this 
like naturalization of certain players as well. Yes. I think they're starting to yeah, look yeah. into that a bit more. So that mm-hmm. will help them going forward. I mean, there was rumors about Tomori potentially taking up a Canadian wow. citizenship. Now, can you imagine that? That's a game so changer. That's a game that changer. That would be huge for them. That would be absolutely huge because he was originally from Calgary. I think it was yeah, born in yeah, Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. So again, opportunity there for that kind of style of players to maybe just turn up for the Canadian squad. So huge player that could be for them if they manage to... I like that. Like my, my, my imagination but, is just running... My imagination yeah. is just running away with itself. But this did get kind of plant a thought in my head. Just even looking forward to the next World Cup, there's a really, really interesting situation. There. There's going to be three countries and none exactly, of them want yeah. to be the worst host nation. <laughs> yes. Can't so there's going to be like a mini... Yeah, exactly. There's going to be like a mini tournament within a tournament of like who is the worst host nation. It's going to be Mexico, but it's fine. I think it could be. So there's an extra little incentive, but I think as you said with Jonathan David, he's only 22 now. By the Mm. time that World Cup comes around, he'll be 25, 26, arguably hitting his peak, starting to hit his peak by that point. So maybe he can be that focal point for Canada. This was their first tournament, his first tournament. I really enjoyed watching them. I'm not sure their manager will still be in charge by that point, but um, I was really excited by them. And I I think Mm. they've added something to the tournament. I think everyone will look back and go, oh, I enjoyed watching Canada. And I think they, they would have taken that really. And they got two goals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They got two goals. They just need to work out where to play Alfonso Davies. I think that's yes. the main thing. <laughs> yes. If they can work that one out, like then they could like even do better. But let's talk about Germany. Let's talk about Germany. Wow. Two World Cups in a row out in the group stage. Both both at the cost of Asian teams, I believe. It was South Korea that knocked them out last time. Yeah. Um it was South Korea that knocked them out last time, unless I'm having a fever dream. I think it was. Think and then so. Japan have taken their space, arguably, in the group this time. And what can we say about Germany? Um, no striker. No striker. I think that's it. No striker. No striker. Um, there's a lot of rumours about there being disharmony. Because if you remember mm-hmm. after the first group game, there's rumours around um, Gundogan, for example, shouting out to the German press that... There's no togetherness within the squad. A mm. um, lot of rumours about infighting. And then Kai Havertz came out just before the second game saying, we cleared it out in the open. Uh, we made sure everyone's kind of concerns were shouted about. Now, has that ruined the harmony in the squad potentially? Wow. Um, it's going to be interesting, but there's been a lot of criticism about Hansi Flick going into this mm. tournament, about him being more privileged or more of the Bayern Munich persuasion, shall we say, in terms of the way he picks certain players. I'm surprised at some of the picks that he introduced for this squad, I think, in certain respects. Like Mkuku, for example, I was very interested to see whether he'd be integrated into this squad. But as far as I can see, he's not even made a subs appearance. No, he's not even Uh, come on. He's not even come on, which you think... Surely against Costa Rica, you know, when you're chasing, you're needing loads of goals. Chuck him on. He's been doing really well for the under-21s. I mean, I read that record, which was, I think it was six goals in five games for the (laughs) under-21s. And he hadn't appeared for, like, obviously the German national side. So, again, you're kind of thinking, we talked about full Krieg last game. Mm -hmm. Could Could this have been an opportunity? 
also when you look at Leroy Sane's introductions, it's been kind of random. Like he seems to have like helped drive that team a bit mm. forward when it came to a certain attacks. You know, Gnabry hasn't had a fantastic tournament. Um, defensively, they've looked a bit shocking. Um, there's that mm. really bad stat about Nico Schlotterbeck, who I really do rate as a defender, but he is still learning his trade, it's yes. fair to say, because he gives away penalties every other game. Uh, that's his record at the moment for the German national side. So, wow. yeah, that's yeah. But again, you kind of look at this squad and go, you've got certain individuals, but maybe they're not playing as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your thoughts? I feel like, yeah, this is we're still at the start of a transition and i think that's Mm. being kind of polite to germany like the 2018 was the end of a transition and this is the beginning the end of an an era sorry and this is the beginning Mm. of a transition it's a new manager new squad and it's not been gelled in properly now we kind of touched on just before like off mic that in, even in the nation's league they weren't particularly convincing i think he didn't really have the he, he or he wasn't able to stamp his authority on that team his idea on that team i still think a player like Mats hummels would have made all the difference a centre-back if you call him up now he could he's not injured is he he just didn't get called up no uh, which so... to me is mental like, if you're playing really inexperienced centre-backs, you need an experienced centre-back there. And he, mm. look, Hummels has his, has his deficiencies like every player does. Yes. But I think in terms of experience and being able to coach another centre-back through a game, he can do that perfectly. I think it's a really exactly. weird, really weird thing to not call him up. Um, in terms of the lack of striker, I think Germany just at the moment do not have a world-class striker. We've talked about the tournament in general that aren't many world-class mm. strikers. Arguably, the only world-class striker on the planet at the minute is with his feet up in Norway. If you know what I mean, like there's not many <laughs> yeah. world-class strikers about. Very so true. I think that's not only a German problem, but you, what you have to do is try and find a way around it. And he's not been able to do that. I like that Full Krugers had this kind of fairy tale thing. It's a shame that now we won't be able to look back on the fairy tale with any fondness. Not really. No, exactly. True. But it was a, it's a nice story. It's a nice thing of like, you know, mm. there's a lot of players who've come from, started from the bottom and now yeah. they're in the World Cup, right? So it's a really nice story. But I think, yeah, with Germany, they just never looked convincing. Never looked yeah. convincing. Never looked like they had a clear idea. And Hansi Flick is going to be under a lot of pressure now. I think the German, like the DFB in general, have been very patient. They were with Joachim Love, even when like things didn't yes. go to plan, right? Exactly. Um, they were still very patient with him. So it'll be interesting to see if they are. But I think he does need to look at this Bayern Munich lean, because yeah, within exactly. Germany, with the fans, all that will do is piss people off more. I mean, Bayern Munich are the Juventus of Germany, right? Everyone hates them if you don't support them. So if then it looks like you've got a bias towards that team and you mm. lose on the pitch, that's going to be like the papers yeah, yeah. are going to chew him up tomorrow morning. Jesus Christ, I would hate to be him it. tomorrow morning. Absolutely um, nailed it because that's the fans in Germany are just not liking the picks for this squad. Um, also, you've got sympathizers like Oliver Bierhoff and Philip Lahm that are at the DFB. So, yeah. yeah, I think this is going to be the critical moment in terms of do they start blending in a lot more of the younger generations like your M. Cuckoos, et cetera, mm-hmm. and kind of maybe breed a success going forward? Because I think when I think about it as well, a bit more deeply, where's Thomas Muller? Where's he been for this tournament? Like, he's been one of those kind of experienced pros you expect to like maybe put But he needs together. a foil. He, he he needs does. someone he to play off. 
because he but plays again, well with Lewandowski. He plays well with whoever it is, Mandzukic, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah, Mane, whatever. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He um, needs that foil. He's not that out and out. He's such an so individual player, Muller. May, it's, it's maybe weird. they've got too many players that can play very similar roles. So mm. Kai Havertz is another example. He's not a striker, really. But he's and his club kind of and there. country keep trying to make him a striker. And he scores the goals. This is a thing. Like you can't yeah, get him out yeah, of the squad, yeah. right? So yeah. on that basis, they keep him. But then you kind of go, do you kind of like, you know, substitute someone like Goretzka or Kimmich, for example? I haven't seen Kimmich, for example, play fantastically mm. well for maybe over two years now. I yeah, haven't seen yeah, a particular yeah. game that stands out for me. And you've got Musiala, for example. So mm. it, it seems like you're kind of squeezing the players that you think mm. should be working, but maybe they're not working for the team as such. Mm. And sometimes you need those players that aren't necessarily skilled like the other players, but they do help the balance of the squad. Yeah, you know, yeah, you've yeah. got someone that, for example, when we talk about Man United, they had the Darren Fletchers, etc. Yeah. that weren't yeah, yeah. technically... John O'Shea's. Yeah, yeah. yeah, even Arsenal had it with yeah. Ray Parler, for example. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is the thing. So maybe that's the balance they needed. Maybe they needed a striker like Fulkrig, who mm-hmm. wasn't, like, fantastic, but could hold up, maybe introduce these players and yeah. score the odd goal here and there. Well, look That's at France with Giroud, right? That's what France exactly. do with Giroud. They exactly. he they improve with him. Now he's he's obviously a world class striker. I think I still can't figure it out. I think he but is. His yeah. his role is to bring everyone else into the game, right? Mm. His role isn't even really to score goals. His role yeah. is to bring everyone else in. Exactly. So I think yeah, having someone like that, I think it's a massive learning curve for Hansi Flick. We do need to say though, fair play to Costa Rica. Absolutely, yeah, without sounding too patronizing, yeah. you get slapped 7 0 and you come back and you win 1 0 against the team that go on to win the group and you put up a hell of a fight against Germany. Now, we said, kind of, or I said, I think Costa Rica are never bad, they're always quite good, they always do quite well in World Cups. They were pretty terrible, but <laughs> I think they've redeemed themselves with the last two performances and they'll yeah. be able to walk out and go because that could have spiraled so quickly. Losing seven yeah. nil your first game, and then if you lose that Japan game, and then it could have spiraled. But th- do you think yeah. signs of promise there? I think they're the worst team at the tournament, really. But signs of promise, I think you you're kind of maybe seeing this Costa Rica side being the last for a decade potentially, yeah. because yeah, I yeah. think if you look at the players that they've got at this disposal, for the example, the likes of Brian Ruiz, I don't think we'll see him again play for mm. them. Uh, Oviedo, um, they've Joel got a few players. Yeah, Joel Campbell, <laughs> Navas, I do feel sorry for him. But then, for example, you've got Jeanette um, Jusen, who I mentioned yep. on our preview. Promise, but again, him alone isn't enough. I no. think they need a number of players. And yeah, I suspect last time we'll see Costa Rica for a long time in the World Cup stages. Well, they did. They did give us the beautiful moment, even if it was only for three minutes or whatever it was, where Japan and Costa Rica were going through and both Germany were <laughs> going out. We lived that in that beautiful. reality for a few minutes, guys, and we can thank Costa Rica for that. They gave us that moment of, oh my God, this could happen, right? So they've definitely added to it. So I hope we, or we hope to see you back soon again, Costa yeah. Rica. But that was all of the action from today, I think. Bloody hell, I think yes, that's all the action yeah. from today. Um, we need to go back to yesterday. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Adam, I don't know whether to apologize or not. Uh, we need to go back and discuss <laughs> Poland battle their way through. Um, uh, where do we start uh, here? So I start off by uh, 
making an apology on behalf of all the Polish people um, for everyone having to endure 90 minutes of bleaching their eyes to uh, Mikniewicz's tactics. Um, as I kind of stressed out on Monday, um, I'm baffled by it. I, I like the range of emotions I went through last night, like including shitting myself, like just like literally at the prospects of like us being absolutely battered by France. Like, um, mm -hmm. I just, I can't work <laughs> yeah. it out. I really can't work this team out. And I'm looking at this like second bottom for possession stats alone, Costa Rica the lowest on 3.3%, for example, versus ourselves at 34%. Um, we passed more in the Argentina match than we did against Mexico and Saudi Arabia. Make that oh one out. Um, um, but, yeah, I just... Uh, when you so look weird. at how many shots we had on target as well, like during the duration of this group stages, we've had five, five shots on target, wow. two being goals against Saudi Arabia. And that's it. Like seventeen shots in total. I, how do you expect <laughs> actually, us to qualify? But we've just managed to do it. And I, I was going to put this question to you, Rory. Yeah. Do you class this as success? Because we haven't done this since nineteen eighty six World Cup, where we progressed to the quarterfinal stages and got knocked out. At that time, yeah. we had players like Spigniew Boniek, who was yeah, the yeah. player in Damn. his day. Yeah, yeah. Whereas right now obviously we're seeing players like Lewandowski and Zielinski but how how do you like I still can't get my head around how we expected to create chances when we don't get the ball forward to players like Lewandowski yeah, and support I, them like even the substitutions were baffling I, I, mm -hmm. I don't know but again I'll just go back to my question does this seem like a success to you based on the fact that we progress, but we play absolute dog shit like that? I think it has to be. It has to be. I think that what something that stood out to me this tournament is loads of people being like, not everybody plays beautiful football. I don't like <laughs> yeah. it. It's like, well, it's tournament football, which is always pragmatic. You have to be pragmatic first in tournament football. Exactly. No teams play beautiful football, really, except Spain in 2010 and Brazil. Yes, 60% of the time, it has to be pragmatic. I think what we're seeing is the kind of purest's form of pragmatic. Let's try and be poetic about <laughs> it, right? We're seeing like the purest form of pragmatic. And I think what has almost happened is because before the tournament, people like, I think Polish journalists were saying to him, look, you need to try and like express yourself more they with did. this team. Now I get the feeling <laughs> Miknovic is a bit like, I'll show you. And he's like, I'm going to do the exact opposite to what you guys do or to what you guys suggest. And I'm going to take you further than you thought. So you have to praise me. And I think, look, this is an incredible achievement for Poland. Like you said, the first time since 1986, that's huge. That's, that's huge. No matter huge. how you look at Absolutely it, it's massive. Huge. In a group with Mexico. Now, Mexico, it turns out, are not that great. But no. that is still a very good achievement. A Saudi Arabia team that we were just talking about, how impressed we've been by them yeah exactly. you finished above them right you weren't disgraced by argentina although the last 20 minutes of that game were a disgrace <laughs> both teams just stopped playing football <laughs> it was like that germany austria game in the in this 50 or like world. that simpsons episode where they're yeah. playing between each other the basically center. back to the center <laughs> yeah like it was a disgrace the last 20 minutes but there's a part of me that loves like you know that meme of like the sickos like ha, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah right. i can I feel like that where I'm like I really enjoy how bad this is 
Like, it just because I know how angry it's going to make people. And I was watching, I was like, this is just Danny Murphy crying into a microphone for 90 minutes as he was like, this isn't football. And then they didn't get you through. Could, I just found you could sense his foaming, couldn't you? But I kind of messaged you, I said, did a Polish builder piss in his tea or something like that? Like, I hope so. Literally, I really hope so. so pissed off. Like, but, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure he's had occasions where they haven't been brilliant in matches and he's had to play this style. So, he played for Crew Alexandra. What do you think? <laughs> he's like, he's, like anyway. I seem to remember that Fulham team he was involved yeah. where they did the great escape and they did exactly that style of football. And so, their Europa yeah. League, their Europa League run was not on Brazil 1970 football. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's be honest. Like, I think, look, I think Poland have again, they are showing <laughs> something. I'm not sure what it is, but they're showing something. And what what worries me is that if like France is either going to go one or two ways. Either it's going to be like 6-0 and Mbappe scores all six <laughs> yeah. and it's just Poland completely collapse. Or the footballing world collapses in on itself as Poland <laughs> yeah. win 1-0. Yeah. Like, I think it's one of those things. So yeah. it's it's not going to be a fun game to watch for anyone again. No, I think I'm going to have another heart attack. But I'm so going to sit get, and watch it quite happily. Yeah, I'm going to have heart palpitations during the yeah. duration of that match. Um but I'm also kind of joking about it at the same time, thinking we'll just put 10 people in defense, yeah. play until like it goes to penalties and then just like by chance, try and win it over yeah. penalties. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only feasible it, way we're going to be able to That's the tactic already. You're already playing for penalties. Like, Maybe it's just like... <laughs> I feel, yeah, don't worry. You'll, you'll believe me. You'll believe me. <laughs> like, I feel like, you know that like this lifetime quote where it's like he was playing a Ferrari like it was a Fiat. I kind of feel like <laughs> with this Poland team, we've talked about it. It's not quite a Ferrari. Let's say like a high end, I don't know, a high end <laughs> Skoda or something. But there's a lot of there's a lot of quality in this team, yeah. and he's just refusing to use it. And I just find it really interesting. I just that's me trying to put a positive spin on it. I find it really interesting that he's <laughs> choosing to do this and kind of fall on his like die on this hill. It's really weird because you could actually play quite exciting counter-attacking football and it would still stick to the same principles like we're going to get on to australia but they kind of play the same way as poland but they at least try to counter-attack they try and counter-attack that's the difference so i'm like just just add that on just exactly that's all you need to add it on that's all you need to do just like and the other thing i kind of say is like we struggle on set plays as well. Like that's mm. our biggest opportunity yeah, during this match. I was thinking even Zielinski had a few opportunities to whip ball in, just try and get it on the head of a Polish player. Mm. That's all you have to do. And they were going over, they were going sideways. It was just not making any sense at all. So again, Zielinski needs the ball at his feet. He's not going to do it. So why doesn't Mikniewicz just pull him off the bench? Like, just have him coming off Mm -hmm. the bench where we need him. Um, But, yeah, it's just weird. And just to kind of complete this section, I would say, um, when you know it's really bad with Mikniewicz when he takes off Berezinski for a 35-year-old defender who's playing his games in the Polish league. He normally plays as centre-back, but he's playing left-back. And yeah, that was such a weird one. It inc- that made a record for Poland as the oldest player to turn up at a World Cup, by oh, wow. the way. So that was interesting in itself. There was a but, yeah. there was a moment in the game just at the end where I saw six Polish shirts lined up. <laughs> <laughs> I 
oh, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I just sent it to like my boys group on WhatsApp. I was like, oh, they're playing the classic flatback six. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> they were just lined up six blokes in white shirts. Like, this is brilliant. Absolutely. And then brilliant. Jakob Kivo almost gave it away towards the end. It's yeah. like, oh no, of all the players to do it as well. Like, <laughs> not him. There will be questions asked about yeah. that Martinez miss at the end. I think he's just been bought like a villa on the north coast of Poland or something because I don't know why he missed that. I don't know how he missed that. Lots chance. of funds are going into his account right yeah. now, basically. Yes. yes, that was a terrible, terrible miss. Um, but we're going to move on from Poland. I think hopefully we've been more entertaining than any of their games have been. Um, and we're going to move on to elsewhere in that get in that match. Um or in that group even, Saudi group, Arabia yeah. beat Mexico. Mexico in an absolute mess. This is not the squad from four years ago, eh? No, definitely not the squad. Um, I don't know what to make of Mexico because you kind of think on the balance of play, you kind of think they've got some players there like your Raul Jimenez's, your Lozano's, for example. Even Chavez, who scored that spectacular second goal. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw it, Rory. Oh, what a hit. The free kick. And he's been known for doing that at club level. Um, he's only previously, he's actually played 12 games for the national team for Mexico. And mm. um, yeah, that was his first goal for the national wow. side. He scored that's that. A, that's going to be goal of the tournament, by the way. That's going to be goal yeah. of the tournament, I think. Definitely, definitely. Um, but I think they're just going to regret not scoring a goal against Poland. That's literally yeah. it. If they'd <laughs> scored a goal against Poland, we wouldn't be talking yeah. about them, like, yeah. you know, maybe regretting not doing enough in this game. So, um, yeah. but the fact that Saudi Arabia still managed to get an opportunity it's and dispatch... Wave. It was such a weird passage of play because obviously after the Argentina game, everyone flicks over. It flicks mm. over to that game. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, all, yeah. all I saw was this touch move suddenly and El Desuari, he's through on goal against Okoa and he just slots it past him. And I was like, what happened? Where was that last ditch challenge? Like yeah, if no I was a Mexican player, I'd just put my body on line. Like, yeah. you know what's going to Take the red card. Now. Just take the red yeah. card. Yeah, do something like yeah, yeah. you're gonna lose. Don't okay, lose in fashion, right? There's yeah, nothing yeah, to yeah. lose. But so weird how the dynamics of that match went because you're like, it went down to like obviously yellow cards to potentially be the deciding factor. Maybe mm. that's what they thought. Maybe they thought if yeah. they get yeah, another yeah. yellow card, that's it. But fascinating game and praise to like Saudi Arabia from every Polish fan there as well because like you know <laughs> just a that goal of... like helped our hearts basically yeah yeah a lot of <laughs> a lot of Saudi Arabia shirts being posted out to Poland now I imagine but <laughs> the um the there was very quickly the Poland thing as well the yellow cards there was a slight moment with Kokoviak when he got the yellow cards and I was yes. like oh, here we go Poland are going <laughs> to go out on yellow cards um but no I think Mexico yeah not picking Carlos Vela not picking uh, Martin uh, Hernandez even yeah. um big decisions that Tata Martino has following um martinez or martinez following him i think i'm not even sure martino got his flight back to mexico paid for they sacked him (laughs) while he was still in the country so he's now lost his job as well unsurprisingly um and yeah mexico i worry about them for the next world cup i i'm gonna have to take a bit more of a look at mexican football to before the next world Mm. cup to see what state their squad is in but from what i've seen a lot of old players um 
and a lot of just very average, very, very yeah. average. For them to not beat Poland in a game that I think they should have won um, yeah. is, is worrying. So I think, yeah, Mexico, again, out of the group stage. Shocking, shocking stuff. But Saudi Arabia, absolutely hats off to you, giving, you, giving us one of the tournaments, giving us one of the games of the tournament, like one mm. of the goals of the tournament. Goals um, and just, yeah, unbelievable entertainment factor. And the video of all their fans dancing to... Um, <laughs> Oh, which song is it? It's like Euro dance hit, but the all their fans going mad to it is going to come to me. Unbelievable video! Yeah, it went, okay. You would have seen it. Um, but good, we are going to move on to the next group. That is Group C done. Group D, and we're going to yeah. start with. Let's start with Tunisia, as yeah. my boy Wabi Kazri brings the heat and scores an absolute beauty to topple the former colonizers as yes. they win one nil. Incredible, incredible scene. That was just fantastic. I didn't like maybe didn't anticipate them to go at that level in terms of mm-hmm. intensity, play, etc. Probably helped also by the fact that France played a very experimental really? squad, which weird. Was we'll get so onto that weird. as well. Yeah. yeah but if we talk, <laughs> yeah. let's give the praises to Tunisia. Magical! What a goal! Mm-hmm. Like obviously, um, Fofana gets dispatched in midfield. Ball goes to Kazri. He just weaves past them, gets a foul in the process, and just blasts it past. But Madunda, um, mm-hmm. of all goalkeepers that I didn't expect at the World Cup, Madunda uh, turns up, and he like he couldn't be blamed for that because that was a fantastic shot um, mm-hmm. by Kazri. Um, but Tunisia had further chances in this match. They could have scored from a corner as well. Um, but they just seems up for it. I mean, yeah. uh, what what can I say? The fact that France had to bring the big guns off the bench, so Mbappe almost scored here, for example. Rabiot controlled the midfield for once. Like when you're saying Rabiot is better than what you've got as your experimental midfield, that is a worry now. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, this is the thing. I I don't know what else you can say. France just weird. Such Maybe Deschamps a- made a point of this because he hasn't experimented with this France squad in general games, right? Yeah. So he kind of put it on the line to kind of say, prove it to me. I think off the back of this, he's going to say, you didn't show up, so I'm going to stick with my 11, aren't you? But also, Camavinga is many things, but he's not a left back. Exactly, does that. I find it so weird. Like... It's a very strange team. You've got Veratu, Chouameni, who's a great midfielder, and Fafana, great midfielder. On paper, that's a pretty good midfield, although Veratu for Roma has been pretty bang average. Been rubbish, yeah. When do but also, when you look at um, up top, Munani, and it was, um, what's his name? Uh, Coman as well. Yeah. Coman was played in the kind of forward role, Gunduzi behind him. Uh, Munani, who was released by Nantes' B side, snapped up by Frankfurt in the summer. And when I was looking at his record, 22 games and like four goals. Like, oh, wow. I don't that's think that's kind of national squad's form. Like, surely there's better forwards in the yeah. French on the 21s. Find, but. I think this is a weird one because I, I imagine the, the players that were thrown in were thrown in in strange positions for one. And yeah. they wouldn't have expected necessarily to have been thrown in for the game. Now, part of being an international squad is obviously being ready to play at any opportunity because exactly. that's your job. But I feel like that is such a strange team to look at that Deschamps maybe went a bit too mad and was like, <laughs> let's like you could have at least kept the same formation or the same idea or the same that was just co- so completely different that 
I think he can have set them up for a fall because Tunisia were not going to take that game lightly. It's exactly, this year yeah. is the 60 year anniversary since Tunisia got independence from France. This is like huge for them, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it shows a little bit of like naivety, a little bit of like lack of awareness of like probably you're going this is basically a derby this is england wales with steroids if you know what i mean like it's <laughs> a game that there's gonna be full-blooded tackles someone really wants to topple you right now yeah. you can say that like he's resting the players which is sensible i think but mm. you've then you're in a tournament where you've not been able to play games beforehand to get used to playing with each other i think there's an argument for both sides but I think arguably giving the players the rest hasn't worked because you've had to bring them off anyway. You've had to bring them on anyway because mm. you were losing the game. So would you not have just been best to play the same team, maybe change one or two, but keep the basics of that same team yeah. just to keep that flow going because you've not been able to play warm-up games. You've not been able to get... exactly like There's still going to be kind of creases to iron out. Mm. It seems like a really big risk from Deschamps. And we'll see now. Now, obviously, thankfully, France have got Poland. So, you know, that, like they that, can afford yeah. to play a team. They can afford to play a team that they're going to have lots of the ball. They're going to have lots of time. They're going to have lots of chances to attack. So I feel like maybe there's a chance for them. But it'll be interesting to see how their um, confidence grows or how this affects the group. Because now those players that have been thrown in, They've been thrown in and they've lost. So now their confidence is on the ground, right? Exactly. Does that affect the squad harmony? Does that affect the training? I don't know. It just there could be a lot of like things out from this that if they don't win the tournament, you'd be looking and going, "Ah, was that the moment that they should have done that?" Is this the infighting that we've been waiting for? Is this (laughs) this 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 collapse? Possibly. I don't know. Um, Just. just I still allude back to that as Deschamps. I think he's done that to prove a point. I think he's mm, gone there yeah. to show the general press that may have mocked him and said you play mm. the same players, etc. I think he's just gone there to go, look, they're not ready. They're not ready. They yeah, can't yeah. go into this squad. But yeah, wow. go on. You're last, you're that is point. no, no, no. I think that is yeah. That's throwing some players under the bus and then some in it. Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, I told you they were shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I told you they were shit. But Tunisia, we have to say this tournament for African football, by the way, has been mm. unbelievable. The African teams absolutely killing it. You will see, listeners, um, today as you're listening to this, we've got the game of the tournament coming up, Ghana versus Uruguay. We're going to see how that goes, but I think yeah. the African teams have really brought it to this World Cup. They've None of them have, did, have been disappointing. They've all, like, tactically been fantastic. They've had they their, have, yeah. like, they've had their ideas, good quality players, good quality games. I'm really, really even though obviously I'm not African, I like African football a lot and covering the AFCON, I'm weirdly proud of African football for doing really well at this World Cup. And I think Morocco topping the group, Senegal getting through, it's fantastic. I love to see it. Mm. So Tunisia, another team that have done really well, came close, just not quite enough. Won one, drawn one, lost one, actually isn't that bad. Um, But we need to talk about... We're going to go to Australia, Denmark. Now, I'm going to go off on Australia because I love them. Go but I'm going to let you talk about Denmark first. Denmark, yeah. the new Turkey. You called it. You absolutely called it. Yeah, I did. And um, just to give you another shocking stat. Um, so I did allude to the fact that Danish strikers aren't firing on the all cylinders. Well, during this tournament, they've had 10 shots on target. In total, 34 shots on goal. 
that's the same accuracy on goal as Poland. So bear in mind, <laughs> Poland had five wow. shots on goal and obviously 17 wow. shots in total. It's the wow. same level of accuracy on goal. And that kind of shows you, granted, they had a lot more efforts on goal in this particular match against Australia. Um, but I feel like Australia were comfortable for the majority yeah. of it. Yes, yeah. they kind of invited it. Granted, they mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. expected just a draw to put them through. But then once yeah, they heard yeah, yeah. the result in the other game, and they kind of went, oh, shit, we've got to score. Then Lecky does the amazing, oh. like, oh. you can see in his face, he's like, I've got no one with me. So I might as well just I've got to figure this it. out. Yeah. <laughs> and he does this little yeah. weaving run and then shoots past Kasper Schmeichel. And Schmeichel Incredible was kind goal. of despairing. He's just like, yeah. wow. And it was Meller that was the defender. Meller from Atalanta, who expected a bit more in terms of the way he stood up against him. But yeah, um, let's uh, hear your thoughts on Australia because this Australian squad is made up of very much journeymen slash experienced pros, right? And I think this is their last kind of tournament together. I think it's kind of interesting because you've got those older players like Aaron Moy and Leckie and like the players that like they are kind of reaching the twilight of their careers. But there's actually a lot of like kind of relatively exciting young players within this Mm. squad. So, for example, Harry Sutar, who is the centre-back yeah. for Stoke, he's only 24 years, 24 years old, I believe. He was mm. absolutely fantastic. He's been incredible throughout the tournament. He, I think he won the ball to start the move that got Australia the goal. Mm. Um, I think he plays the ball into Lecky, or he has a key part within the goal. He was, he's been fantastic for them. Um, and then even players that have come off the bench. So there's been players like, uh, now I want to get the names right, Thomas Deng and Joel King, um, they're playing in Japan and Denmark. They've come on and made appearances and done well. Um, they've brought on Harry Sutar, as we said. There's Aziz Behic and there's a, a player, Aydin Hrustic, who's in Serie A, and Awer Mabil, who are, who's in La Liga. So there's a few mm-hmm. young players in this team. Now, neither of them have had starts, mainly because of um, fitness issues, but there's this kind of underlying class of Australian players just on the bench, on the fringes that are kind of on the side of that team Mm. that mean that this could be the start of something for Australia. Now, that being said, this is a record-breaking team for Australia. So this is the first time they've scored in every game uh, in a group stage. It's the first time they've kept back-to-back clean sheets. It's the first time they've got through the group stage since 2006, and they've qualified for five World Cups in a row. Right, yeah. The manager Graham Arnold was assistant manager to Hiddink in 2006, right? So he's now taken over the job and matched that achievement. Um, it's I think all three players that have scored, all of them, it's their first goal in the World Cup. Um, the whole thing has just been like smashing these records for Australia. And I think it's a, it's a country that is weird because in cricket, I fucking hate the Aussies. I <laughs> hate watching Australia in the cricket. Cannot stand them. Uh, rugby, I don't give a shit about. But football, I really like Australia. And what I like is how much it evidently means to that country for them to mm. be on the world stage at anything. You know Aussies get mad yeah, patriotic exactly. about their sports anyway, right? But for, for the scenes in Melbourne and stuff, I've just been like, oh my God, I don't want to be anywhere else in the world. I don't want to be mm. anywhere else. Um, it looks incredible. And I think this team, what they are, is kind of what Poland could be. But Poland could be better than them. Because like, yes, Poland have exactly. more ability. Poland have more ability. Exactly. They could play a similar style of football, which is that mid to low block, where yes, they kind of exactly. frustrate teams. They 
and then winning the high, winning the ball higher up the pitch, exactly. and getting those coordinated counterattacks. Because even when Australia attack, it's not just pumping a long ball forward to Mark Faduka, right? It's <laughs> like there are short, intricate passes, and it's full on. Like it's it, they're playing nice football when they get the yes, ball. It's exactly. as simple as that. And I think this is kind of what Poland could be able to do. And I think Australia are kind of playing above their means and Poland are playing below their means. And I think that yeah. is a, that's a compliment to Australia. Very fair. Massively. Very fair. Um, yeah. And I think Graham Arnold has had a lot of criticism before the tournament. Oh, a lot of Australian yeah. fans were not happy with him. Um, they all wanted him gone. And I think the first game, again, this is another team kind of similar to Costa Rica, right? You lose 7-0, you could spiral, but you don't. Mm. Australia get battered by France. They look like they've got no clue. He makes really mm. odd substitutions. There's no clear game plan, and it just all looks a mess. And you're like, oh, Australia are going to get destroyed. And then what he does is in the next game, he implements a clear game plan. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm. Everyone's in a system. They've got that attacking play sorted. They've got the way that they're going to get out of their box. They've got a plan. And his substitutions actually start to make sense. I think in the game against Tunisia, he brings on a player at the 74th minute, 75th minute to play centre-back, to drop to a back five. And after that, the game's never in doubt. Yes, they have yeah. a few moments where it's a little bit like, whew, but yeah, exactly. it's bringing those timing the substitutions correctly and getting that system and having the plan for, right, if we're 1-0 up, this is what happens. Exactly, and I think yeah. when that player came on, it didn't feel like a desperate roll of the dice. It was, ah, okay, it's that point. Okay, you go here, you go there, I go here. This is what we do. So it was obviously clear that they had a plan. And I think he's mm. he's done really, really incredibly well. Um, yeah. So I think he's proved a lot of people wrong. And I think there's a lot of players in this Australia team I really like. Not only Harry Suter, who I think is a genuinely classy centre-back. I think he's very, very good. Um, I think Aaron Moy has been amazing in midfield. He's been the absolute engine. The guy never stops. I know that in the Premier League, he wasn't the most gifted, but he has never, never stopped running. And he's able to, like, his quick turns and able to pass the ball on and get that metronome in midfield Exactly, yeah. I think he's been fantastic. So I think Australia, again, another team that aren't, terrible to watch yes they're no, defensive, no, no. exactly but they're a very good counter-attacking team what have you thought of australia yeah uh, just to allude on that point as well jackson irvine who played for the likes of burton albion for example and he's playing in um germany at the moment um is it coppus or someone like that so i'm just checking simpauli yeah it's even. the rebel so, one isn't it yeah, yeah it's yeah. a rebel team but yeah he was fantastic as well because he kind of does that Makalele role where he drops mm -hmm. and covers that central area as well so he was fantastic but yeah props to Mitchell Duke who scored the goal against oh, um, the other day well. I've forgotten the team against but Tunisia. Yeah, yeah, Tunisia yeah it was and yeah again him and good good win as well I mean fantastic players but when I was looking mm -hmm. at the age of these players like you're like yeah unfortunately it does feel like it's their last tournament but yeah. let's give them there is a they are playing really well there is an interesting kind of, um, you know, Ellie Mengham, who does the stuff for Copper mm. 90. I absolutely love him. Now, there's a video of him at four in the morning in Australia, like shouting, uh, obviously, a few sheets to the wind and like enjoying himself. <laughs> but it's still incredibly articulate and very good. I love him. Exactly, but yeah. He says that a point about the team is like the team represents a modern Australia. It's kind of multicultural. It's yes. young. It's exciting. The people that are getting into football or soccer is 
uh, the real Australia, young, multicultural, exactly. exciting. I feel like there's a real wave behind football in Australia at the minute, which is great. Um, yeah, because that team in 2006, that was such a good team. And uh, like Bresciano mm-hmm. and Kewell and Viduca and really Cahill, exciting, yeah, good yeah. team. And I think it was... Um, yeah, it's good to see them doing well again. It's good to see them doing well again. As long as it's not in the cricket, it's fine. <laughs> as long as it's not in the cricket. <laughs> yeah, so that is Group D done. And now, guys, we need to go further back in our memories. And we're going to go to Group A and Group B. Now, I think we're just going to touch on two games here. I don't really want to talk about Netherlands Qatar because Gakpo no, is very good. Straightforward. Yeah. Netherlands are. It was boring exactly match as well. Exactly. So. Yeah. We didn't miss out on much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Gakpo, three goals in his first three World Cup games. Pretty mad. Netherlands, mm. I'm not that excited about. I think USA could actually beat them. Um, USA could, won, yeah. Iran nil. Pulisic getting injured while scoring. Um, yes. Disappointing for Iran, but probably on the, on yeah. the balance of it, USA they, deserved it, I think. Yeah, I think they did. Um, I kind of expected Iran to be a bit better than they mm-hmm. actually performed. Um, it has yeah. to be said, I think Carlos Queiroz killed him with the tactics. And unfortunately, he plays players like Tarimi are out of position. So he played him on the left-hand yeah. side rather than being a central uh, striker. So that really cost them because for that goal, it was Sergino Dest where he mm-hmm. should have been tracking yeah, back. Yeah. He got into that position, headed it across. And as you say, Pulisic bundled himself in for that goal mm-hmm. um and he was actually quite focal to a lot of the movements that they were doing him and McKenney, as andy alluded to they were fired up i feel and um yeah they just got the better of a poor iranian side on the day mm-hmm. it has to be said yeah i think the occasions were just huge for Iran, yeah. <laughs> and the last thing they needed was an overly politicized game <laughs> at the end of that so poor i do feel bad for Iran. usa yeah Honestly, I think USA Netherlands is going to be a hell of a watch. I think that's going to be an upset. Mm. Genuinely, I can see Holland stumbling there. Netherlands, sorry. But we're going to start with, because England we're probably going to talk for quite a bit. So we're going to start with Ecuador-Senegal. Now, Ecuador has been kind of our, one of our teams, one of our many teams of this tournament. Yeah, Ecuador exactly. we've kind of fallen in love with. I feel like in this game, though, they were kind of caught between two stools. I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel they set up poorly for this match. Um, And it Mm. was so strange because you thought, just go out and try and win. Just do what you've been doing. Like, Enna Valencia barely got a touch on the ball, which Mm. like was so strange because when you compare it to the last two games, they got the ball to him. They supported him when they were doing the runs. And it was just like a contrast in terms of the style that played because once they even got themselves back into the game, and this seems to be a very common trait in the World Cup at the moment, as soon as you get one back, you seem to concede almost immediately. Like, And yeah. it was just that concentration level. So it seems like those players just didn't click on to the fact of, you know, we've got to now shut up shop. We've got to yeah. now protect this, like at least goal. We've got it back. Let's try and protect this because a point would have been enough potentially for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it was, unfortunately, um, they just conceded from a corner. Kulabali of all players who probably should have defended the Ecuador goal better yes. by letting Moses Casado scoring yeah. in that occasion. But Kulabali scoring from the corner and that was it. Senegal were worthy winners 
I felt. Um, yes, like... I think it's fairly yeah. uncontentious. I yes. think Senegal had the better chances. Senegal had a clear idea of what they had to do. And Ecuador, I think, like I said, they were caught between do we look for a draw or do we try and win it? And they hadn't decided by the time they got on the pitch. And yeah, I exactly. think once Senegal started running at them, and started going for it, Ecuador would come out, oh, fuck, we're in a game here, and we don't really know what's, mm. what's happening. I felt, again, the Ecuador team, we've talked about them, they're very young, so there's a little bit of inexperience in there. I think a little bit of like rabbit in the headlights when Senegal went 1-0 up. They're yeah. like, oh, crap. Mm. Um, but we have to say, Cissé absolutely tactically got this spot on. So yeah. he knew that Ecuador's strength was their midfield, right? Moises Caicedo, if you can get past that midfield, then you take out the strength of that team. Mm. That's exactly what he did. He had Sauron and Dai just pinned on the exactly. on the touch lines as far yeah. back as for as far forward as possible, and they would just flying balls straight over. First thing, just find that winger, find that winger, and just cutting mm. the midfield out completely. And it meant the Senegal got plenty and plenty of chances. And I think it shows Cisse's tactical nous. Um, yes, and I think he's a manager that he obviously won the Afcon with Senegal, right? That's a great achievement, but I think he's showing that he is like a genuinely a manager that should be talked about more. Um, mm. I think for Senegal to get out of this group is is an achievement because it was always going to be Ecuador or Senegal and Netherlands. Yeah, exactly. Right? But I think getting over that and being like kind of comfortably in the end, I suppose, getting through that's a hell of a statement. I was just really impressed that Senegal were able to. Um, nullify that Ecuador threat, really. And like yeah. you said, Enna Valencia barely had a touch. It's kind of sadly, it was kind of his mistake that led to the winner. And then you're like, mm. uh, you, you, it's kind of cruel because you were their top scorer. And like, but yeah, I think Koulibaly with a great volley, really. And Saw yes. with the coolest of penalties, yes. which for Watford fans must have been galling. So I think he's just missed their last two penalties for Watford. <laughs> and then he just takes the coolest penalty of all time for Senegal. Doesn't even sweat it. Beautiful exactly. penalty. Um, but for Senegal, yeah, they will be up against England. And I think this mm. is going to be a very interesting game. Yes, this is exactly. Be, um, obviously, no Mane for Senegal. Um, but I think it's a team that we cannot afford to even slightly take lightly. Yeah, our exactly. defence is our weakest point. Our wing-backs could be our weakest point, and they have got incredibly tricky wingers. And I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. But we could talk... Oh yeah, how do you feel about the England-Senegal game? And then we'll talk about the England-Wales game. I think I'm really excited to see how they'll match up. Um, I, I don't actually believe England have been that poor defensively. I think defensively, they've actually been probably the strongest spine mm -hmm. for an England team for a while. Um, and this kind of mimics the last tournament at the Euros where yeah. defensively, they're quite sure of themselves. They knew what they were doing. Um, so I feel like it's potentially just that attacking and creativity that is lacking for England at the moment. So you saw Foden, for example, despite the fact that in the Wales game, for example, I didn't think much of the play from England in the first half was brilliant. Foden was the standout player. And yes. I think that's mm. going to be the interesting point because like obviously Senegal are going to be there to shut them down and counter-attack. So how exposed does Southgate go? Does he kind of go counter-attacking himself? Which means... Then this game goes into extra time. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But when you've got a dilemma like do you put Rashford in? 
do you put Foden? Do you put Grealish? Do you put or bring back even the likes of Sterling into this yeah. mix? Like, I think this is that's the, the line that Southgate has, right? My, my, um, what I would like to see, and I don't think this will happen, but mm. what I would like to see is Rashford left, Foden centre, Saka right. Mm. I think I would really like to see because I think Foden can dictate the play like that, and he can. Him in a central role is as threatening as him on the right or the left. I think he yeah, can exactly. play across anywhere. It doesn't make a difference to him. Mm. He will be a threat. I think Rashford, you have to play him just because of how impressive he's been for England. And I think Saka, obviously I love Saka, but I think he is like the best right winger we've got. So I think it's those are the three that I would love to see. I think in the Senegal, in the Senegal game, sorry, we have to be on the front foot we can't this is a game that we have to be the protagonists of this game we have to be the one mm. that are going to try and attack it because senegal are going to be looking to catch us on the break so we have to like you know what i mean yeah, exactly. i think we're the bigger team we have to try and go for it we have to, we can't try and be conservative in this one um but for england i think it was a really impressive performance against wales in yes, general by the yeah. end uh like i said first half wasn't fantastic but once we got the first one wales kind of collapsed um yeah and yeah, it was just quite professional, wasn't it? It's nice to yeah, see Rashford yeah, yeah. doing well. It's really nice to see Rashford doing well. It was well. nice to see that confidence in him. And I think England were professional in the job that they did. Because I think when you saw the second half, they scored one goal, you're kind of, right, they're going to sit back and relax now. Then they got another one. You're thinking, mm-hmm. blimey, they're actually going for us. They're actually yeah, yeah. like literally going to town. And maybe they went with a game plan of, get a quick goal, get a quick yeah. goal. It was basically what Argentina did to Poland, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. frustrated them. Wales were very similar in the approach. I was disappointed by Wales because I didn't feel there was much fight. And like the fact that he brought off Bale in the uh, second half or at the beginning yeah. anyway, before it started, that kind of shows you maybe he shouldn't have played in this match. Like, I, d- I don't know I if that's the right thing, but I feel yeah. like it goes back to what Andy said on Monday show, which is, They've trusted the old legacy team players, right, for example. So, therefore, there was no kind of spark. There was nothing new that was coming through. And I feel like almost they set themselves badly in this match. Um, Danny Ward didn't come out with much favours. That third goal is bloody terrible. It's so bad. And, yeah, Rashford, obviously, free kick is what we're alluding to here, which is he kind of steps, he does, why do keepers do it? They step to their right-hand side when mm. the striker is going to hit it to the left-hand side and they're anticipating that he might go for the near post or something like that. But then just have a player on the line then, if that's the yeah. f- way you're feeling like this. And uh, yeah, I feel like... Wales and the third goal just transition. goes through his legs. Yes. Like, I think he has to do better there. He has yeah. to do better with that last goal. I think it's, I think... Wales are just going to be so disappointed. I think, like, I was talking to the boys about it, like, on the WhatsApp group, and I was like, mm. obviously, I support England and Ireland, right? I have the gift mm. of being bi-national. Bi- yes, right. um, and I, I really sympathise with Wales fans because I remember w- when Ireland qualified for any tournament, it's such a fucking massive achievement. Mm. And then I would just remember, was it Euro 2001 of them where we just got absolutely embarrassed by Spain 4-0 or something? And the whole thing was just like, oh, God, it was horrible. And you, you, you're you like looking forward to this tournament and then you just don't turn up and you realise that actually you're not that great. And it was just, I feel like I was watching Wales. I, was just, I could just see that Ireland team. And I was like, yeah, I just feel, I just feel sorry for you guys. Because like... Yeah, part of me thinks it's funny that you spend the whole week wheeling out Michael Sheen to make 
speeches on TV <laughs> and then you get battered 3-0. That is funny. But then I do sympathise with you and I'm like, ah, God, mm. I, I, just that level of disappointment, like the whole build-up and stuff. And I know the achievement for them is getting to the World Cup. But I think a manager like Robert Page, he's done a great job to get them there. Yeah. He got sacked by Northampton. Like, my mate's a Northampton fan. Yeah. And he was like, he's not a good manager. Like, he's not a good manager. And I think, obviously, no. we know why he got the job, right? Or the circumstances yes. that led to him getting the job. So, he it, it was thrown at him, and he did an incredibly good job to get them to the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he kind of got found out at this tournament. Yeah, I think he got found out. So. And I think the other managers were like, oh, right, well, you just, you quiet him, you quiet him, done. That's it. That's no, it. No, and no, I think no, he relied too much on Ramsey and Bale to get yeah. him out of this. Yeah. Like it was ultimately he kind of tried to inspire the team by having these kind of legacy players, as I allude to, but yeah. also these star players that can on the day be a real focal point for Wales. But I think it was a tournament too far for those two. Yeah. I almost felt like they weren't in the right frame of mood, potentially not even maybe form-wise in the greatest positions. Mm. Because if you compare that to the last tournament, I feel like Ramsey and Bale were better players then. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas yeah. this time round, unfortunately, it's just maybe a tournament too far. But you look at the positives, they've got players like Ampadu coming through, mm-hmm. for example. He's been Nico playing, Williams is a yeah. great player. Yeah, like, Connor Roberts, I think, is yeah. a really good right back, for example. Brennan, Brennan Johnson is exciting. He's yeah, definitely exactly. exciting. I think yeah, exactly. there is a young there is a young kind of like group of players there. But as you said, yeah, they were relying too much on like, oh, Bale will just drag us out of this one. And exactly. He wasn't able to. Uh, so unfortunately for Wales, they will, they are, they have gone home probably. Um yeah. But England, we keep going. Um, it feels like nobody's getting ahead of themselves too much this tournament. I've not no. heard it's coming home yet, really, which is good. I think everyone it's, is yeah. keeping it quite sensible. A bit more reserved. Right? bit more reserved. Yeah. I think they know it's getting to that part of the tournament where it's knockout phases, yeah. there's better teams ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's We've not been massively tested. Apart from the USA were a difficult game, but we've not yes. been massively tested. So I think Senegal is going to be the first real test, I think. Exactly. Um, but, listeners, that's the end of the review. We need to very, very yep. quickly go to a preview, and then we've got some delicious Serie A talk to finish the show with <laughs> because we all thought Italy was Italian football was hibernating for a month, but it's woken up, guys, and it has been incredible. <laughs> but we're going to get to it. First, we need to preview the last of the groups. We're nearly at the end Tomorrow or today, as you guys are listening, we have South Korea taking on Portugal and Ghana taking on Uruguay. I'm going to be teaching at four o'clock and I am absolutely fuming. (laughs) I am fuming because this is the game that when the draw was made, I was looking forward to the most. I was like, Ghana, Uruguay, boom. Now, I don't know if you saw the press conference today. Luis Suarez in his typical kind of um, Luis Suarez-ness way yeah. said and i think he's actually he's right to he a degree said, it's not yeah, my, it's, yeah it's, it's not my fault i you didn't take a penalty, penalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not my fault you missed it 100 percent right but also just the right level of shit housing to mean that he's gonna get a kick in tomorrow when he's on the <laughs> yeah i don't know if you've seen the video of that do you know emre in the turkish league when he started getting the shit kicked out of him because he was racist yes have you seen that video i expect I yes i have like, many times I feel like that's going to be Luis Suarez tomorrow. He's going to get booted about eight foot in the air every time he gets on the ball. But 
It's going to be an exciting game. Um, in that group at the moment, let me get the standings up just so we can see what the situation is. Um, we have Portugal top on six, Ghana second on three points, South Korea on one point, and Uruguay on one point. So off the top of my head, if Uruguay beat Ghana, they go through. Um, if South Korea beat Portugal, they go through, but Portugal are basically through. Is that right? Yeah, so you, you're right in that kind of analogy. I feel South Korea is a big ask, big ask against this Portuguese side that is probably already, I appreciate they've already like kind of progressed, but I think South Korea were not looking forward to this because at the end of the last match against Ghana, their heads dropped. Yeah. They yeah, did yeah, not yeah. look yeah. like they were in the frame to kind of... Well, Son was crying around. again, wasn't he? He's always bloody crying. Exactly. Well, Son was crying again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, Son's yeah, crying. We've got um, that. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this Ghana Uruguay match because I think this is a tasty one. This is going it's to going be, to be mad. Even think... e- even if Ghana do lose this, I can see them just going hell for leather, just trying to take out and swipe out Suarez, yeah. like just yeah, get the yeah. red card. Even if he's on go. the bench, yeah. Even if he's on, <laughs> yeah. just two footing him on the bench, like I think. Can you imagine yeah. if they win though? They're going to do that Van Nistelrooy celebration in yeah. front of him as well, aren't they? I think like what what we need for the narrative. I just feel like so many. Ghosts will be laid to rest if Ghana just win. We just need the Ghana win, and it will just feel like there's some karmic justice. But you know what's going to happen? Suarez is going to come on in the 80th minute, and he's going to score a winner. Score. That's exactly what's yeah. going to happen. And he's going to give it this or something, and they're <laughs> yeah. all just going to go mad. And it's it's going to be box office no matter what <laughs> happens. But I really want Ghana to do it. I really want Ghana to win it. I cannot tell you. And then the late kickoffs. We have, um, let me get them quickly because I've gone off the tab. We have, um, ah, gone too far. My God, we've got Serbia taking on Switzerland (laughs) and Cameroon taking on Brazil. Now, Serbia, some interesting rumours out of the Serbia camp that Vlavic has been banging the goalkeeper's wife or something. And that's why nobody is, apparently it's all melting down in the Serbia camp. Nobody likes each other. I don't know if it's just Twitter chatter, but it feels like a lot of, Serbian football fans that I follow on Twitter have kind of been talking right. about it. All things not happy in the Serbia camp. Um, Cameroon, Brazil. Brazil are going to kind of win that comfortably, I think. I think they seem so. to just be doing that, don't they? Yeah. But in that group, the situation is Brazil are already through. Switzerland on three points, Cameroon on one point, and Serbia on one point. So Cameroon need to beat Brazil in order to go through, mm. and Serbia need to beat Switzerland and hope that Brazil beat Cameroon to go through, I think. Mm, yes, yes, you're correct. I think that's how it goes. I think that's yes. how it goes. My math is terrible, guys. I'm not counting how many yellow cards each team has. We do not <laughs> have the time. But <laughs> that is, I think that's the end of the preview. But off uh, the topic, yeah. Just very quickly, Adam, who goes through from those groups? So, I, obviously, Portugal through. I think I'm going to go with Ghana to go through yeah, and join them. Well, Black Stars, let's do it. And obviously, Brazil are... Pr- our certs, they're already there. I think I want to say Switzerland join them. Yeah, I think I they think, will. I think Shakiri and maybe Xhaka remind Serbia about their backgrounds, and then yeah, Ooh, nice. Oh, there's so much there. just there's to so spice up there. a bit more, so especially now good. that you said Vlavic is uh, moved to <laughs> Apple Cart down there. That <laughs> yeah. that I did not know, but it kind yeah. of explains why he hasn't been playing, right? And 
Serbia did hang a very controversial flag in their um, changing room after one of the games and apparently could be in a lot of trouble from FIFA. Um, something against Kosovo nice. or something all over the place. Keeping it classy, Serbia. Um, but we do need to go on to... I've been waiting. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Listen, so you know what? We're going to take a quick two-minute break. Not even that long. We'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm David Wheeler, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. And here we are. As I said, we thought Italian football was at rest. We thought that during the World Cup, they would not be creating any headlines. But, listeners, I'm sure you've heard it. And I think you might have seen my voice and my face, if you were lucky enough, on the Monday night stream. As I read the story, as Adam Adam (laughs) put it in the private chat, and my eyes expanded, the entire Juventus board have resigned now what has led to this i hear you ask well you may be familiar with the term plus valencia um now last last season me and tommy in fact were talking about Mm. what this actually is um and it's the idea that juventus have been overestimating what their players are worth especially during covid in order to make their um accounts look less bad um, this is deals including Mandragora, which they sold for a massive amount of uh, money. Luliano, I believe, um, who's like a youth player. Um, there mm. was the deals with Sassuolo, like Locatelli, where yes. they sign a player, but they pay it over the next 20 years. There's a lot of all these kind of dodgy, dodgy deals that have meant yes. that there are indictments for arrest. This is not a thing that's going to go away quietly. They are pursuing criminal um, criminal charges. So this is false accounting. This is financial fraud. This is all the things that Juventus do best. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of terrible, terrible takes on Twitter from Juve fans um, this week yes. saying that Juve disappearing would be the death of Serie A. I've just got one quick thing to say about that. The last time, that you were caught cheating and relegated the last time, not the first time, the last time you were yes. relegated and um, caught cheating. Milan won the Champions League the next year and Inter won it two years after that. And it was the most successful period um, mm-hmm. in modern history for Italian teams in Europe. I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but Juventus just not being there does not kill Italian football. Trust me. Exactly. Um, what were your initial thoughts on this before we get into what could actually happen? Yeah, so I heard about this creative accounting from Juventus for probably the past two to three seasons. And I think we've kind of almost speculated on it when we've kind of alluded to the likes of how did they manage to pull off Vlavic, for example? And a few seasons back, it was Ronaldo, for example. Mm-hmm. So how did they manage to pull that off? And on top of that, pay the high wages to likes of Ramsey, for example, Pogba, yeah, 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 yeah. etc. There's a number of players that I haven't mentioned in that mix. Um, so yeah, when that news did break, I was like, yes, they've got egg on their faces. They know they're in for the shit. Obviously, Paratici is rumoured at Spurs to be arrested as well. So that kind of <laughs> indicts him to be involved in at some point as well. But that is like typical Juventus, typical way of doing things. And it just don't seem to learn. And it's a cult. It almost feels like it's a cultural thing. It's, that they mate, it is to do it. built into the bricks in that yes. club. It is in the walls. It is everywhere. I do not understand it. I heard of before I get onto Paratici and Spurs, which is just 
beautiful. <laughs> I think there was a really interesting, and it had Kesey, our favorite, in it, interviewing Del Piero because he, he was there yeah. as it as the news kind of broke, right? And Del Piero, I everybody loves Del Piero. Mm. Nobody hates Del Piero, right? He's already been invited back to the club. They're like, Alessandro, exactly. come back and give us some good PR, please, right? But he kind of put it in a really interesting way. And he was like, it's the history of Juventus that you have these incredible highs and then these incredible lows. And yet, yes, but uh, what causes the incredible lows, Alessandro? Talk about what causes the incredible lows. Because it's not just a dip in form. Exactly. It's getting caught match fixing. But with Paolo Rossi before the 1990 World Cup, right? That was or the yeah. 86 World Cup. I think it was 86. For 86, that was Juventus and Rossi, right? Then you've got Calciopoli in 2006. You've got Plus Valencia, which has been going on for years, right? Mm. This weird grip that they have on clubs that they're able to negotiate with Sassuolo and just go, no, we're going to pay you over 30 years and you're going to accept it. Like the... The, the power that this club has, it's not just in football. It's in Italy, the yes. power this club has. It's like, I, I think you have to like, kind of live here to kind of understand it. It's a political institution. Exactly. It's not a football club. It is the whole thing. It just controls and does what it likes. And I yes. think this is what we're like. It's just, this is why I hate them so much. I hate them more mm. than most English teams. Like there's no other foreign, like abroad foreign team that I hate as yes. much as Juventus. And it's because mm. it's almost like a badge of honor to them that they can get away with doing this and they'll just do it over and over exactly, again yeah. and they'll keep winning. And the, the fans have zero shame in it. All they do is just point the finger at other clubs. And like, yes, with Calciopoli, there's an interesting thing of the fact that Fiorentina got caught and got relegated as well, by the way. Milan got caught and got a points deduction. And I can't remember the third one. And the fact that the company that did all the wiretaps was owned by Inter, I'm sure is not a coincidence, right? (laughs) Like there are things where you can point fingers, right? But as I put on Twitter, when it all broke, whenever there's cheating and whenever there's a scandal, Juventus are always there and they're always the biggest culprit. And that is why for their fans to turn around and point the finger at other clubs, they could be doing it as well. And that will be punished as well. But your club does it repeatedly and shamelessly at every opportunity. And I just cannot stand anything about them. And I think where this goes is really interesting because with Paratici now at Spurs, he is going to be arrested. They're trying to arrest him. I don't know if they can in the UK. I assume they can, but I think they will. Yeah. yeah, like He's due to be arrested. (laughs) The club that's done quite a bit of business with Juventus in the last couple of years. Spurs. uh, That could be interesting. They did pay quite a lot of money for Ben Tanker. We'll see. Um, Even the Kulisevsky deal was a bit dodgy. So we will see what comes from that. Um, If Spurs get involved as well, then, all my Christmases have come at once, I'll be honest. But <laughs> I think where this goes with Juventus is really interesting because it's mm. not match fixing. It's not a sport, it's not a sporting crime that they're being tried for here. It's a crime crime. It is financial, financial properly crime. So it's interesting because they got relegated to Serie B with Calciopoli. Um originally should have been Serie C as well. Yeah, they managed to blag their way yeah. out of that one. I think realistically this could go further i think Mm. genuinely realistically this could go further especially when you throw in the thing that they had that whole scandal with trying to get luis suarez a fake passport um that was a massive crime as well like that's a huge 
fucking international crime trying to forge documents. Like, exactly. there is a lot going on at Juventus at the moment. And we've talked about it for months. We've said in the background, on the pitch, it's crap. But what's going on in the background is much, much worse. And this is all of it starting. Now, this is going to take months. It's not going to be the end of this season. It's not going to be next season. I think maybe over the summer, we might see some movement of what's going to happen. But Mm -hmm. this could be Juventus down to Serie D. This could be Juventus starting from scratch. This could be like Napoli had to when they went out of existence yeah. and just had to start again. It could be like that. Now, when Napoli did it, it was just because they went bankrupt. But I think like, it could be that bad. And I think for genuine Juve fans, you you have to be like, look, no, the, the classic line of nobody wants to see a football club go out of business. Of et course. Et but, <laughs> with a massive but, but, when a club has been asking for it several times, you only get so many chances of sympathy before it's just exactly. go fuck yourself. Like, how? where do you think this ends and how do you feel about how you think it ends? I think it will end with a number of appeals, to be fair. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that we'll probably see the dirt on certain individuals like Pavel Nedved. I'll be curious to learn a bit more. Yep. So as we, uh, I think there was a tweet that said uh, he'll be getting used to a different sense of handcuffs rather yeah, than in certain that. rooms. That was brilliant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think Agnelli as well, the fact that his family have been so enriched with the club as well. The fact that he's probably the well, man. they've owned it for decades. Brought, like He's it, the man it, that's brought down that yeah. dynasty. Like that is going to be so fascinating mm-hmm. because obviously... Yeah. I think he's got a bit of trouble just elsewhere in his kind of empire of like estates and things that he owns as well at the moment. So it's not a happy place with Agnelli and the family at the moment. But yeah, I just, I think as a club, like you say, they probably will be relegated. Um, mm. It'll be just a question of what level, how far, um, yeah, how yeah. far low they'll go down. I think they will probably go Serie B, with a points deduction again Mm. and then it'll be just a question of maybe if they can hold on to certain players but i think they'll probably i think if you're talking about financial hanging around man none of them are hanging around well this is the thing didn't lillian turam and the like stay for one season Um, didn't they del piero Um, buffon and i want to say yeah maybe yeah so there was a few handful of players but again when we compare the squads, there were players that were probably better quality than what they've got right now. And um, they had a level of loyalty to Juventus. I don't know how much... If if they go down, the players that are going to stay are Bonucci, because nobody else will take yeah. him. Fagioli, because he's a young Juventus player, he gives a shit about Juventus. Yeah. And Meretti, right, are the three that I would be like, okay, they'll stay. If you think Pogba or Vlavic or anyone's playing <laughs> in Serie B, you are high off your ass. Like exactly. They are all going. They're going to so be think, sold. Yeah, it's going to be really, really fun to watch. And there's going to be a great Netflix documentary in about five to seven <laughs> years about this. Um, it's going to be great. But we will see. We will see. Um, exactly. All I can say is I hope they get punished the correct amount. <laughs> I hope they get punished <laughs> as much as they should be because I'm just fucking sick to death of Juventus and they're cheating. Absolutely sick of it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it's another step for Serie A to thrive. It'll be another step in Serie A survival. Fingers crossed. We can hope. We can hope. (laughs) Well, guys, that is us on the Juventus and Serie A um, review, I think, really. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll keep keep you posted on this. We definitely, definitely will. Um, But for now, as always, please follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. 
Uh, hit the like and subscribe, and we are going to send you out with our partnership with Cards of Qatar. Yes. So, um, again, highlighting three individuals that unfortunately lost their lives in the process of uh, creating the World Cup itself. So we'll dedicate this first one to Mohamed Hamidel Malita. At the time of the accident, Mohamed was employed by QD SBG Constructions, Najama Began. Najama Began, the widow, says they have struggled to survive after the fatal accident. He was the breadwinner. I can't pay for my children's school or any other necessities. Najama Begum says instead of attending ninth grade, her 15-year-old son has to work at the farm and the daughter, who is 17, is devastated that she couldn't start the school she was accepted to in the fall. Next individual is Som Bahadir Sarisha. Four years ago, Som Bahadir Sharisha started to work as a security guard. Since then, he did not take a single day off and was never back home, says his daughter, Sangeeta Suresha. They were planning for his forthcoming homecoming when they found out that he died in his sleep. The day before he died, he was shopping for his son's birthday. He bought a watch for our mother and shoes for my brother. When the body arrived at the airport together with the father's belongings, all the presents were gone. We have tried to contact his employer, but now we have given up, says the daughter. Finally, Amadin Mia Hawari. On December 18th, 2020, 24-year-old Amadin Mia Hawari died. Even today, his father has a hard time believing that his son took his own life, and the father is wondering if he was forced to do so. What he told me was that he planned to get married as soon as he returns from Qatar. He wanted a wedding with drums and fanfares as soon as he earned some money. Every time he sent money home, he urged me to start with the necessity wedding preparations, but instead of a wedding, I had to arrange a funeral when he came home in a coffin, says Islam Maya Dobby.